Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And as the name says, we are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the folks who help others create and grow their businesses. And we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you, like me, are one or more of the above, and in fact, many of our listeners who tune in every week are all of the above, take a moment, explore episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and discover how we serve you. Also, check out our channel on iTunes and other related networks. We have fresh content available every single week. We have over 250 episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. Be sure to subscribe so you get that content. Today's interview is going to be very exciting. Working as a coach, working as a consultant, being involved in masterminds, spending most of my social media time inside discussion groups, I find this is the truth, truth story that more people are in cash flow mode than will typically admit it. For every seven posts about how the person is a seven-figure producer and they're making ten times as much money as going out, six and a half of them are probably trying to figure out if they're going to have enough money coming in to pay the bills until the next big client payment. That's the reality. That's how it goes. What we find with a lot of these same business creators is they need to move forward. They need to add new lines of service. They know there's this one thing they could be doing. And if they did that, they could get out of the cash flow trap and they could move forward. They could create that imbalance in their favor where there's a lot more cash flow coming in than there's expenses going out. But at the same time, there's that old adage that you need money to make money. Happily today, we're going to discover that is not the case. In fact, you don't need money to make money. To share on that today, we have somebody who was on the Business Creators Radio Show a few years ago, and actually was one of our more acclaimed guests. They had a really great interview, and we got a lot of awesome feedback from listeners just like you. The gentleman's name is Todd Tresseter, and three years ago, he shared with us how to have more clients than you can handle. It was a great interview. You can find it on businesscreatorsradioshow.com. And today he's here to tell us about why you don't need money to make money. So, Todd, welcome back. I couldn't be happier that you have decided to join us once again. Come on in. The weather's fine. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me on the show. Great. Now, it's been a few years, and some of our listeners know who you are, and some of them are right now opening a separate tab on their browser Googling you, trying to figure out who you are and what your intersection of brilliance and passion is. So uh, I could read off your bio, but we've done that before. What I'd like to do is take it from a little bit more of a relational angle. And if you could just take a moment before we get into the heart of our content today, take a step back with us and share with us a little bit about your journey through your personal journey, your entrepreneurial journey, and what's brought you to where you are today, serving our business creators from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. Yeah, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life, so it's just been a series of businesses. Even from when I was a kid, I started off with a paper route as a, as a kid, and 
Then I leveraged that up to have multiple paper routes. I used the profits in the paper route to buy a motorcycle. So as a little kid, I'm riding around the neighborhoods on a motorcycle at dawn, throwing papers from the saddlebags mounted on the motorcycle. Um, and that's how I made even more money in the same amount of time. And then, um, you know, when I was a kid in high school, I worked in service stations and pretty soon I became the manager of a chain of service stations and I was hiring and firing the kids from my high school. And, you know, <laughs> then you fast forward, then you fast forward that and I moved on to, in college, I was, I ran the, uh, I was the ASUCD business manager, so I ran all the businesses on campus for University of California, Davis, and then um, that's what I did when I was going to college and then came out of college and continued entrepreneurial ways. I, I started a hedge fund, um, and then now I'm I'm continuing to build off financialmentor.com, which if people are Googling me or looking up, that's where they'll end up. That's kind of the home of everything I have now is financialmentor.com. It's right. just a history of entrepreneurship. Um, but it's always been kind of a financial twist, and that's where this conversation is going to be interesting. Because even though you, you know, you teed it up with it takes money to make money, what we're really talking about here is the core of how you set it up, which was how to break out of this cash flow uh, thing where you're just kind of scraping by, you know, and just trying to make sure you can make payroll and making sure you can pay the bills and and all these other things. There's a whole process to that that people follow to get through. It's it's not an unknown thing, and so it'll be a it'll be a fun conversation. Yeah, and you know what we find out there is a lot of the teaching for entrepreneurs and business creators that I see, when it comes to folks who are struggling with their cash flow and they're in that place where they're trying to get to the point where they can make the investments they need, so they can break out of the cycle, or they need that one thing to hit that will finally exceed the range of profitability they've been experiencing up until now, and coaches want to help them with their mindset. And we're seeing a growing trend out there. And this, Todd, is why I thought this would be a great time to have you back on Business Creators Radio Show for this topic, is we're seeing some pushback on that in the market. We're seeing more and more offers out there that lead with, uh, we know your mindset is just fine. You just need to catch a damn break. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that if we can help people understand the process that allows you to make money without needing money to do so, that's about the biggest break we can give them. Yeah, I'm going to come at it from a wholly different standpoint. Um, okay. I, the way I approach it is there's what I'll call level one, level two models. Right. And what you want to do is you want to move out of the level one model that's common understanding, that's conventional wisdom, and figure out the level two model that really breaks things open. So in my world, it always came from the what I call the paper asset side. So let's backtrack a little bit, okay? So what we're really talking about is wealth creation and wealth planning, right? And so there's three asset classes you can work with when you're developing a wealth plan or you're trying to develop your wealth or your financial freedom. Uh, these, you know, these are all words you can use interchangeably, your retirement plan, your wealth plan, financial freedom, right? There are different words that you can use interchangeably for these goals that we have, financial goals that we have. And there's three asset classes you use in developing your plan to achieve financial freedom, and that is paper assets, so conventional stocks, bonds, mutual funds that your advisor can sell or you can get on your own without an advisor. And then you've got a business asset class, which is your specialty. And then you've got real estate, you know, directly owned real estate. And those are the three asset classes that all wealth is built from. And so then you go into conventional models. Now, my specialty came from the paper asset side, right? But because I coach people on building wealth, I work with all three asset classes. 
And one of the unique things in my teaching and my own personal life is that I've built wealth in all three asset classes. So both business, real estate, and paper assets, I've been successful in all three. Um, and so couching it in the conventional paper asset terms, because people understand that, you know, we've all learned that a conventional uh, financial plan or a level one financial plan is you're supposed to go out, you know, go to college, get an education, get a job, earn money, and then save some and invest it in a paper asset, you know, asset allocation portfolio that your advisor can sell you. And somewhere at the end of the rainbow, you're going to be financially free. Does that sound familiar to you? Yes, it does. Yeah, so that conventional plan is a level one plan. It's like trying to build a house with a hammer and a, a screwdriver when you're limited to a hammer and a screwdriver. When, in fact, there's a lot more tools out there, right? You've got saws, you've got tape measures, you've got chisels, levels, more. And those things are the equivalent of tools like in, in finance or in building your business. They're tools like leverage, risk management, other asset classes, different growth rates, different tax rules. And so you start bringing in these other, these other tools into your plan, and you move yourself up to a level two plan. And that's one of the things that your listeners have a huge advantage in, is they're already working from the asset class, business entrepreneurship, that is the single greatest cause of wealth if you look at how people become rich, how people achieve financial independence. Surprisingly, it's not financial advisors and paper assets, even though that's all that you see promoted everywhere. Surprisingly, the data shows that it's business entrepreneurship is the primary creator of wealth. Real estate is number two, and paper assets is number three, and it's also the slowest path. That's very interesting. I had an inkling of that before, but when you put it that way, it makes a lot of sense because entrepreneurship uh, can help you raise the greatest amount of cash in the shortest period of time. Uh, real estate is something that can grow fairly quickly on scale and paper. Some say, you may agree or disagree, but some say that it's just like an adult form of gambling. You put money on the market and you see what happens. And I know a lot of people who have paper assets who take a conservative approach because they just want to get their 4 to 5% per year and know that they're always getting more return on it, and they just keep putting more and more money into it to increase what that percentage means. So I can definitely well, I see think, the, uh, the scale you're talking about. Yeah, I think I, I would say it slightly differently. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'd say it slightly differently. Um, well, the problem with paper assets is they're subject to strict mathematical limits to growth. And it's probably beyond the scope of this interview to go into it. It has to do with the fact that you're owning a diversified piece of the economy as a whole, and the economy yeah. has limits to how far it can grow. And so when you own a conventionally diversified portfolio, there's mathematical limits to what it can grow. And it's, it's well proven and documented. I'm not saying anything controversial. It's just not common knowledge. Um, however, when you're in uh, directly on real estate or you're in business entrepreneurship, the difference is that you're in a microeconomy. And there is no mathematical limit to your growth. In addition, what's really unique about business and real estate is the tax advantages and the leverage advantages that are possible. And that's what we're here to talk about today specifically is the leverage advantages. And so okay. it's, kind of a, it's kind of a precursor for that to kind of tee it up or set it up. What, what we want to understand here is the accumulated wealth is nothing more than the compound growth over time of your personal capital and your financial capital. Okay, or I shouldn't say your. It's the it's the common growth of personal capital and financial capital over time. All wealth can be attributed back to those three resources because those are the only resources we have: personal capital, financial capital, and time. Okay, and so 
when you take those resources and you multiply them, in the conventional plan, you're limited to your personal capital, your time, your financial capital. When you bring in leverage, what happens is leverage is a tool that allows you to use other people's resources to build wealth, and it's a tool that breaks you free of your own limitations of skills, money, abilities. That's where the where you teed up earlier, you talked about how it doesn't take money to make money. Well, money is just one resource. It's nice if you have it because it can be used to build wealth. But it's only one resource, and if you don't have it, there's ways to get around it. And so, and that's, and there's other resources for building wealth, such as your personal capital, your skills, uh, natural resources. All these different resources can be used to build wealth. And so when you start thinking in terms of leverage, what you do is you use these to overcome the limitations to your wealth growth. And that's what you are talking about earlier. When people are, are going month to month and they're just trying to make payroll and they're just – what's happened is they've hit a limit to growth. They're running into barriers. And the way you break through these barriers is leverage. Leverage is the tool. You, you have to identify the barriers, and the way you break through them is always, always leverage. Yeah, absolutely. So can you um, share a personal example of how you created wealth without using your own funds? Yeah, so my first path was in paper assets. I'll go through several here, actually. If you want, I'll go through each asset class. Sure, sure, please. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so my first path was paper assets. And when I came out of college, I became a hedge fund manager. Now, hedge fund managers, if you're not familiar with the term, it's skill-based investing. It's not conventional like financial advisor stuff. And if you think about it, out of a thousand, probably out of ten thousand people that come out of college, all but you know, nine hundred nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine of them, if they were interested in finance, would go into the conventional financial advice profession. Um, I chose the hedge fund business. Why? Because it had higher higher leverage potential. Not only did I get paid to learn the investment business inside out and develop investment skill, but I got paid on a scalable income model. I wasn't limited to my time or my own resources. It was scaled and it was based on the resources of other clients because I received a percent of assets managed. Um, so that would be an example of leverage I applied within the paper asset business. And then I went on and I, uh, once I left that business, I sold that company in 1998, um, getting near the market top, and then you know, in 2000, and I went into real estate. Real estate was really good value back then, particularly in specific sub-markets. And I figured out a leverage model where I could buy whole apartment buildings. Literally, my first investment deal in real estate was a 62-unit apartment building. Now, most people would be start out with single-family rental homes, right? That would be, again, out of 10,000 people that start out in real estate, they would start out, almost all of them would start out in either single-family homes or duplexes. I bought a 62-unit apartment building. Why? Because there was such a thing back then called conduit financing where I figured out how I could borrow the money on the apartment building and it would have no recourse to my personal assets. So the only thing I had at risk was the down payment on the building so I could actually control an apartment building for less capital at risk than I could a single-family home. And so that would be an example of financial leverage applied there. And then in this business today, right, so I'm in an info product or education business online on the Internet. 
And there's huge leverage involved in this. So there's marketing leverage through content marketing, and there's systems leverage through all the automated business systems for online businesses. And I mean, I could go on and on and on. It's knowledge leverage, right? I'm leveraging my knowledge about all these different financial skills into info products that can be sold. And so, and then because of the systems leverage, they can be sold at really high value propositions. I can give away tremendous value uh, through an online business model for next to no cost. Um, right. So it's a great way to give value to people. Um, so anyway, that's an example of all three asset classes where I've applied it in my own life and applied different leverage principles. The, one of the keys on this, Adam, and one of the reasons I do this is that leverage, a leveraged business model is the only one that has scalable income. And that's what breaks you free of that worry about making payroll, is build, building in business systems and scalable income. And that's, in my mind, that's the only business model worth pursuing. So that's the only one worth using or dedicating my one scarce resource, which is time, to. Right, because the only thing that you can't leverage is your own time. In other words, your time runs out. You only have so much time. And right. so you have to be very picky what things you apply your time to. And so the reason I've always chosen leveraged business models is because that's the only thing worth my time. Yeah, very true. And we've heard so many times that you look at whatever billionaire you claim to emulate, and they have the same 24 hours in a day as you do. It's a matter matter of how they use it. And to a significant extent, that is true. How do they use it? How do they use that key gift, that key resource that only they have within the amount of time that only they can leverage to the same limited amount that you can, uh, the listener? So, Todd, is there research out there that shows, and this may either support or debunk another common theory, is there research? research out there that shows you don't have to inherit money to become wealthy. Yeah, actually inherited wealth is a diminishing percentage of the total wealth. In other words, like if you looked at, let me put it another way, Forbes 400 is one of the more famous studies of wealth, right? And there's inherited wealth in there, but if you look at inherited wealth, it can almost always be traced back to business entrepreneurship. In other words, inherited wealth is just wealth from business entrepreneurship that's passed down a generation or two. But if you really look at the source of all wealth, it's always business and sometimes real estate. Real estate is actually the recipient of wealth. And you can create wealth with real estate, and there's reasons why that's true, and I can go into it if you want. Um, But really what drives wealth creation is business. Right. That's very, that's very like interesting. I, lost, I feel like I lost you on that. Did I lose you on no, that no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, right, I'm, right, I'm right here. I was just, I was just uh, listening to everything you had to say, Todd. Yeah, so inherited wealth, I mean, yeah, people can inherit wealth, but you have to look at what the source of the wealth is to really understand it. The source of wealth is nearly always real estate. I mean, I mean business, sometimes real estate. Often, often they'll coincide, people will use business in their real estate, or I'm sorry, real estate in their business. Um, So an example would be like, let's say you build a business and you've got an office that has, you know, ex-employees in it and you're paying rent. At some point, most accountants would agree that if your business horizon is anywhere from 10 to 20 years, it almost always makes sense to own the property rather than lease it. Um, and so then you build that asset, which then becomes a source of your wealth. Right. 
Okay, yeah, and and again, I I tend to agree with this when you, you say, I mean, you look at all the great fortunes in this country, you look at all the names you associate with wealth, and go back a generation or two generations, and you're going to find entrepreneurial activity, something that was built, something that was created. Uh, inherited wealth doesn't just keep getting inherited from generation to generation, going all the way back to biblical times. At some point within our relative recent history, somebody did something entrepreneurial to create it. Yep, absolutely. Right. So and, as we and one of the key, in, one of the okay. keys on this, Adam, one of the keys on this, Adam, is that wealth usually isn't created by a business that requires the owner to do all the work. Again, this is intuitive and obvious, and yet so few entrepreneurs practice it, right? And so yeah. if you look at how wealth is created, it's usually through a business that the entrepreneur created but replaced himself through systems um, that ultimately run the business and are scalable, and that's what allows you to leverage up and get past that cash flow issue that you that you discussed. Yeah. Yeah, so we're talking about leveraging other people's skills, other people's resources, and uh, would it be correct to say other people's money as well? Yeah, well, there's six types of leverage. Do you want me to go through them? Yes, please. The six okay. types of leverage. So, yeah, so most people are familiar with financial leverage and time leverage, right? When, when we talk about right. leverage, that's what most people think of is financial leverage and time leverage. So financial leverage is you borrow money for your business, you borrow money to finance your house, you borrow money to buy an office complex for your business, right? So that's a great example of financial leverage is just borrowed money. Now, the problem with financial leverage is it's the only form of leverage that cuts both ways. So it both increases return and it, and it increases risk. Okay, so it's unique in that way. The other five types of leverage, you can increase return, but you don't necessarily increase risk, and sometimes you can actually decrease risk. Okay, so financial leverage is the first one. It's because it's most obvious that people understand. The second most obvious one is time leverage. So that can be hiring people to do work in your business, right? That would be time leverage. You're leveraging other people's time. Or when you hire a professional accountant to do your books, or you hire an attorney, that's a form of time leverage, but it's also a form of knowledge leverage because you're, you're leveraging their unique knowledge within your business. And so this introduces an important principle, which is I'm going to explain six types of leverage, right, because it's yeah. very useful to categorize them to understand what problems they solve and how you apply them in your business. But I also want to be clear that these types of leverage intersect and commingle way more than they are separate. So even though we're going to separate them from the discussion for the convenience of talking about them, um, in practice, the way they work is they get integrated very tightly. So as an example, in my business, you know, I was talking about marketing systems leverage, and I was talking about knowledge leverage. You know, I was talking about the marketing leverage in other people's networks. You know, like, for example, when I have a book on Amazon, the Amazon network um, then sells that book. So there's there's all these different types of leverage that can be applied, and they start intersecting within a single business model. But anyway, getting back to the six types of leverage, you've got financial leverage and time leverage, which we already talked about. And then you've got technology and systems leverage, okay? And that's a, that's where you set up a scalable business model so systems can do the work thousands of times, right, rather than an individual doing it over and over and using their time. Use your time one time to set up a scalable business model. So in my business, as an example, that would be my email list, 
right? So throughout my site, I've got all of that automated, including all the bonuses, opt-in bonuses that are given to people. That was all set up one time, and it, it works hundreds of times per day as new subscribers come into the system. Um, so that's yeah. an example of technology and systems leverage. There's communications and marketing leverage. So, for example, you and I talking today is a form of communications and marketing leverage. I'm talking oh. to your entire I'm talking to your entire network today for the price of one conversation with you and me, and that's going to reach out to a lot of different people. You in turn are leveraging my knowledge in this process to create quality content that your that your listeners want to hear about and adds value to your listeners' lives. And so there's a common lever there's two types of leverage going on here. I'm leveraging your network, you're leveraging my knowledge in the process of this interview. Is that making sense? Right. Making dollars okay. make sense. Literally. Yeah. The, so the network, the, ne the next one is network and relationship leverage. So other people's connections, so you're not limited to your own. So let's say you and I have a bang-up interview, right, and we really deliver yeah. great value for your audience. And you say, hey, Todd, I know this other guy that also has a business audience. I think he'd love to talk to you about this and how it could, how it could be useful for his audience. Right? So that would be a form of network sure. leverage. Also, your network as your audience is a form of leverage for me right now. Um, experience and knowledge leverage. I just referred to how you're leveraging my knowledge in this conversation, and all your users are too. For the price of listening to a podcast, hopefully we're going to deliver great knowledge for them. So they can do this on their commute, while they're working, you know, taking their truck to the next, you know, next job that they're at or whatever it is. Um, they can listen to this podcast, and for very little price, they're leveraging my knowledge through you. Yeah. And so there's these six types. So the six types in review are financial leverage, time leverage, technology and systems leverage is number three. Number four is communications and marketing leverage. Number five is network and relationship leverage. And number six is experience and knowledge leverage. And so what you want to do is you want to think of each type of leverage as a tool in your toolbox. And it's used to overcome a specific constraint in your business. Right? And that's the key point of this whole conversation. Right? This is useless unless you use it to identify constraints that hold back your business and then figure out how to leverage your way through those constraints. Yeah. Yeah, very, very true. And I never myself thought that there were six different points of leverage. So this is kind of news to me. Good. Well, that's the yeah. point, right? We're trying to get out some good, useful information for people here. Right, right. So let's, um, yeah, so let's take a step back, and maybe we've somewhat addressed this already, but I really want to bring this point home for our listeners, because, again, I'm, I'm in so many forums, I have so many other interviews on this show, and I deal with so many of my own clients who are in that same thing of the ox and the horse cart, need money to make money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in your words, how is that belief that it takes money to make money a dangerous deception that limits people's ability to create wealth? Well, what you're doing is you're limiting yourself to a level one model, right? You're, right. you're inherently saying that I'm limited to my own money, right? I, you could use other people's money. There's no, there's no limitation to money. I mean, the world's awash in money right now because of government policy. Right? Interest rates are at record right. lows. The price of money is at a record low. Right now, right. one of the big controversies that will come out probably a year or two after this interview is published is how corporations were using extremely low interest rates to leverage up assets that don't actually even carry 
um, carry the price of the interest at normal rates, right? It only made business sense because they could get the assets at such extremely low interest rates. And so they'd leverage up, up their balance sheets with debt because that debt's at extremely low interest rate. But then when interest rates return to normal, a lot of companies are going to go under as a result of really foolish business practices because these interest rates aren't sustainable at this low level. And so they're an aberration. And so that that brings up one of the key principles in leverage is that you only want to leverage a profitable business model. And so an example of that is if you apply financial leverage, the return on the asset purchased has to exceed the interest cost that you pay on that asset. Otherwise, it doesn't put cash flow in your pocket. You know, similarly, the same principle applies to hiring employees. The employee needs to produce more value for the business than they cost. Otherwise, they're not putting money in your pocket. They're costing you. And so these are yeah. like fundamental principles of leverage that you have to apply when you're, when you're putting them into practice in your business. You know, that, that's another thing that I want to make sure our listeners hear. If you leverage too much through borrowing and you do it in an economy where the interest rates are really, really low, you have to simply look at your history. There will be corrections. There will be rate hikes. There will be changes in the economy. If you look at the trajectory of our economy going all the way back to the foundation of our country, it looks more like a roller coaster than an incline. So you take that risk and you get caught when the rates go up and you're unable to pay. That's how a lot of people lost their houses. Yeah, so and that's only if you sign for the business assets, right? So if you personally sign right. for your business assets, you could put your house at risk. Alternatively, you can leverage assets in a way where you don't have to personally sign for them, although that's obviously tougher because lenders always want as much security as they can get. Um, so, yeah, there's stages to doing this profitably, okay? And so one of the first stages is that you have to get to profitability to begin with. Okay, you can't leverage a business model that isn't already profitable because um, all leverage is is an accelerator, right? And so before you apply the acceleration, you first got to get the base model profitable and scalable. And so the first step, it, usually for entrepreneurs, and this is where they get stuck, this is where they make the mistake, is they start out deep inside the business, bootstrapping the business with their time and their knowledge, Right? And they build up in-depth insights about the market and the production processes and all the things that go into making the business profitable. And you work long hours to get it profitable. And you know you're at that stage because the, the hallmark is if you stop working, then the business profits will stop. Okay? And so that's right. stage one. And that's where most entrepreneurs get stuck. And that's what you were talking about earlier when you're in this cash flow trap. And so the second stage is mastery of the business. That's where you master the model and you prove the efficiency at every level of the operation. And this is setting you up for the next stage, by the way. You want to have all the failures while the business is small and, it's, and you haven't scaled it out yet. You want to test everything, improve the efficiency of everything. That's where you start getting the profitability built deeper into the model. You start breaking out of that cash flow issue. And then stage three is where it really starts to happen because stage three is where you replace yourself with business systems, right? And the whole idea is to prepare the business for scaling because you can't scale yourself. As long as right. you're an essential cog in the wheel of the production of your business, you are the clog to it. And so one of the favorite activities I do with entrepreneur clients in the coaching process 
is I work with them to make themselves unessential to the business. And what we do, and this will be a shock to a lot of people, is we, tr- we treat everything that you do as a failure of the business system. It's assumed that if you have to touch it, it's a failure of the business system. The whole goal is to build systems in your business, that's standard operating procedures, technology systems, whatever it is, so that everything operates without your involvement. True. And we hear all the time about this idea of get other people to do the work for you, leverage, only do the thing that's right at that laser point of your brilliance and passion and, and outsource everything else. Some people are just not in a place to do that, though. Uh, so I want to bring this up. Is there are folks out there who would love to outsource? They would love to hire a virtual team to do it all for them, but they just don't have the capital yet. Okay, but let's clarify something. I'm not saying necessarily outsourcing, and I'm not saying a virtual okay. team because that's labor-intensive. It's harder to scale. I'm talking about business systems. Oh, okay. So you wanna, okay. Some, some of it will require team, but you want the team skill level to not necessarily be high so people are easily and quickly replaceable. Um, you want everything to run by standard operating procedures, right? So you're building standard operating procedures into the structure. You're building automated systems. You're figuring out marketing systems. You're getting everything down to a system. All your knowledge is getting put into a box, if you will, the business box, right? So that you become right. progressively less and less essential to the business. The key is you can't scale it when it's your time, when it's your knowledge. Until you can compartmentalize the business to where it can be quickly scaled, it's not really a business. It's you trading time for money within something that you control, but it's not a business that can be scaled to create wealth. I see. Yeah, so we're not necessarily talking about human systems, in other words. We're talking about the types of businesses that don't, always require human scaling where we could use technologies, we could use machinery, we could use software to do a lot of that work that otherwise would require a human being. Yeah, wherever possible and wherever that's efficient. Sometimes it's not efficient. Sometimes we do need humans. Sometimes, But even where you need humans, you don't want a lot of human judgment involved because that's not scalable. So even the humans should be operating under standard operating procedures. So like I have an assistant. And everything she does is governed by standard operating procedures that she and I have agreed on. So there's really, I mean, she has excellent judgment within that structure, but the point is the whole business operates according to standard operating procedures. We have a procedure for everything. Okay. Very good. Okay. Um, Yeah, go ahead. So that's stage three. Once you hit that stage three, and you're hitting those systems, that's when you're going to feel yourself redlining. And that's because it's really hard. This is the bridging stage, right? Because you're trying to bridge yourself to where you aren't essential to business, but yet you've been a major source of revenue all the way up to this point. And it's a really tough stage. It's a very heavy hustle stage, right? Because you're trying to build the systems. You're trying to work yourself out of the business so that it becomes a scalable model that can really produce wealth. And yet, you're not producing the income at the same time. It's, it's very difficult. I don't want to mince words, right? And that's why most businesses never get past the stage. And yet yeah. you have to. You have to. You have to work yourself out of the business, and that's why I say treat everything that you do as a failure of the system. Start working from that viewpoint 
and over time you will progressively figure out a solution to everything, and that's where you apply leverage, right? Right. Leverage is how you replace yourself, right? And we went through the different types of leverage, experience and knowledge leverage, network and relation leverage, communications and marketing leverage, technology and systems leverage, as well as time and financial leverage. The key yeah. is to think in terms of all of these forms of leverage. They're all keys that unlock different problems in your business. So what you do is you're scaling up as you identify the constraints to your business growth. What are the things that are holding you back? And for every entrepreneur listening, it's going to be different, right? It's always going to be different, but there's, there's commonalities. They're going to fall within these categories because those categories cover most of what's in a business. And so whatever you find is a constraint, then you figure out how to leverage your way past that constraint. It's not that complicated, but very few people do it. Sure, sure. I Now, here's something that you said that really kind of leaps out of me. When you said that your assistant, even uh, with her range of judgment, the work that she does with your company is governed by standard operating procedure. And that really leapt out of me, and, I, and I'll tell you the reason why. And with, with my company, we have a specific procedure for how we host webinars. There's a three-step process to how we set it up. There's uh, an intermediary step between the actual opting in and the receiving of the link to attend the webinar that we use to convert our opt-ins into leads in many cases before the webinar even takes place. And there's a formula for how we load our follow-up emails for people who've already registered to get them to attend. There's actually a structure to the language, to the timing, and even to the subject lines that draws people to the point where they actually attend. And this is how we get our 40% attendance rates, our 50% attendance rates, in some cases our 70% attendance rates. It's how we start having conversations about doing business with people who sign up for our webinars even before the webinar takes place. So yep. uh, in one case a few years ago, I, uh, we had somebody who was working with us, and, and I provided, you know, we had detailed videos where I actually – built one of these webinars and let the people watch over my shoulder. That's how I train them. You'd literally watch me step-by-step step set it up, how you integrate the Zoom platform, how you integrate the Q&A box and everything else, how you integrate the active campaign. And uh, I gave them the information that they would need to plug in to set up a webinar. And what I got back was an opt-in page that looked nothing like our design. And after they person entered their name and email address, forgetting to ask them for their phone number, because we always ask for the phone number for various reasons, we get taken to a page that says, okay, and click this link for instant teleseminar to attend. Like, wrong platform. And in my video, I specifically said, we don't give links, we spell it out. And where's the Q&A? So that was a case right there where I was glad to have the leverage in terms of having documented and having created the policies and procedures because it was very easy for me to say, this is absolutely not how we do our webinars. Uh, did you have an opportunity to watch the video that I sent you? They said, well, yeah. And do you realize how many things are missing? Uh, well, but I thought, no, there's, this is not the part where we think. We have this standardized, so we're leveraged, and we don't have to think about this. Where I'm looking for your brilliance and passion is if you have any creative ways that we could market this thing. As far as setting it up, we know what we're doing. Okay, so you're looking for insights from me on how to market your webinar procedure? No, no, not at all. What I'm saying is I was using it as an example 
of how to use, as you said, the process itself as leverage. So when another person comes yeah. in, we don't have to go through it for five hours with them. We give them something that they can follow, and they can set up very quickly. What I meant by that, Todd, is I was able to say to that person, we don't need you to innovate how to set up the webinar funnel. I, we've done that already. Uh, if right. you, you know, what brilliance we have from you is what creative ideas for marketing messaging. Please share that with us. Uh, we would rather, you know, because we would rather gain the value from that than from figuring out how to, you know, adapt the technology that we've already figured out. Yeah, so if you look at what you just walked through, it matches perfectly the stages I just went through because these stages are universal, right? You first yeah. figure it out before you ever turn this into a standard operating procedure. <laughs> Excuse me. You figure it out how to get profitable. You figure out how to get your conversion rates at each level of the webinar funnel, right? Conversion rates into the webinar, conversion rates coming out of the webinar, and how to structure the whole thing as a system that was repeatable, right? And then you went through and you tweaked and twisted everything. You mastered it, right? You probably tried different webinar platforms. You tried different language and different emails. You tried different things until you really had it tweaked, correct? Yes. Okay, and then what you did is you replaced yourself. So you were involved yeah. in it in the beginning, and then you made it as a system so that an employee could run it for you that has moderate skill, not great skill. They have to be functional on the Internet. You have to give them the correct access codes, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not rocket science. Anybody with basic skills could follow the standard operating procedure and implement the webinar for you, correct? Correct. And at that point you could leverage it up. At that point, you could hire as many employees as you needed to run as many webinars as you wanted. And in fact, you could even take it further and do evergreen webinars, where you right. find out your best converting webinar and put that on auto record, and then you could just come in for the Q&A afterward, or you could just let them know that it's an evergreen webinar once they're inside the funnel and tweak your funnel for that for maximum time leverage. Correct. Yeah, and that's exactly yeah. how we're mapping out. And that's just see, the thing is, Adam. That's true for every business. You just have to adapt the model, but the steps are identical, right? So, like, you could look at. Um, I have a product on my site, which is how you design an advanced wealth plan. So that's where a lot of this content comes from, right? So I teach leverage in there. I teach risk management. I teach how to apply all the different asset classes, everything like that. I didn't just come out with a product one day. What I did was I coached people for over a decade on how to design a wealth plan that would actually work for them. And so I spent years in the trenches with all these people figuring out how to do this thing as a system. And then I mapped out the system in a drawer, did additional research, and compiled it all into this massive product that's so it's complete. It totally works. It didn't just come out the whole as a product. It went through the complete evolution here. I first had to do it as, as a basic coaching model, one-on-one -on -one coaching model with no leverage. It was trading time for money to prove out the knowledge, right? Get the knowledge right. I had to try various forms of it and fail, little iterations of failing. I failed small, I failed fast, but I kept evolving it until I had a model that worked. And then what I did is I replaced myself in the model with a course of instruction, and now the course of instruction even has my assistant is the admin on the course. I'm in there for office hours, and that's it. And I've got hundreds of people in there. Yeah. So, that again, it's just another model. We could take any model. Anybody listening right now, their model applies exactly to the structure. 
you first bring yourself to it, prove it out, make all the small failures, make the tweaks, get it to profitability, get it exactly right as a system, use this idea that anything you touch is a failure of the system, and then convert it into a scalable business model and then leverage it up. And then every time you run in an obstacle to your growth, recognize that leverage is your solution. One of those six forms of leverage is what will break you through that barrier to greater profitability, greater scale. Yeah, and, and again, I wanted to spend some time on this because I really wanted to drive this home, what we potentially mean by leverage. And it's all the stuff, Todd, that you just said. And you, using my example to springboard from, it's looking, at, it's looking at, among other things, how we leverage through our systems and our processes and everything else. And it gives us the opportunity to scale, gives us the opportunity to modify. And that, to me, is something that you don't really necessarily need money for. You just need your time to put it together. Like when we designed our webinar process, that was just me hosting some webinars and attending some webinars and making some other discoveries. One other one I have real quick is, well, we have certain lead generators for my business as well. And there, and a person who's coming through my lead generation can go through an entire sequence of back and forth with me up until the point where they've gone to schedulewithadam.com filled out the form, and found a date and time to be on my calendar for us to discuss whatever it is they want to discuss. I can have an appointment show up on that calendar and not even know who the person is until five minutes before I speak with them. But the way I've designed that process and the way my people manage that process for me is I'm given the synopsis of everything that's gone up until then, what the call is about, who the person is, a snapshot of what I'm going into, and I can... When that phone rings at that point in time, I can pick up the phone and I can jump into the conversation like me and that person had just had a chat this morning. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't take money to make money because if you think about the, the process I just explained, the process you just explained, we got paid at every step of the development. Like I got yeah. paid back when I was coaching the client and figuring it all out. I got paid as I turned it into a course because I pre-sold the course in advance plus I accepted sales all along the way as I was building it. And so right. I've gotten paid at every step of the development and now I've got this valuable asset. It doesn't take right. money to make money. It absolutely does not. That's an old school level one model of thinking. And if you believe that, what it's doing is it's showing that your thinking is stuck in the older version of the model. What we're trying to do here... I'm using leverage in a very different way than it's commonly understood. As we talked about earlier, leverage is commonly understood as just financial leverage or time leverage. What I'm trying to do is create a deeper understanding of leverage and how you apply it in your business. Leverage is really the idea of expanding the resources accessible to you that go beyond those you personally possess. You're leveraging other people's resources, other people's money, other people's time, other people's knowledge, other people's network, other people's technology, other people's business systems. These are not yours. You're leveraging them within your business structure so you can do more with less of your own personal resources of time and money. That's why it doesn't take money and it doesn't take time to build wealth because it's not about your resources, it's about the business model and how they leverage other people's resources. Ultimately, all wealth is the result of the compound growth of those resources. The key is it doesn't have to be yours. As a matter of fact, if, you, if it is yours, then you're working too hard to generate too little income and too little wealth. If you're 
limiting yourself to your resources. So it's just a, it's a very different way of thinking about leverage. Leverage is like the key that unlocks the growth and breaks and breaks you out of wherever you're stuck because it's opening up the resources that are limiting your growth. They, they're causing that stuckness, if you will. Right. Yeah, and if there's one thing I want our listeners to take from this is everything that Todd just said about a new way of looking at leverage and getting out of that level one. You must break past level one. That was one of my big challenges for the longest time is I, you know, when I was starting out in business, I uh, felt that, well, you know, you have to have a, uh, you have to have a virtual team and you have to leverage this and you have to outsource this and all that. And, uh, and you're making a big mistake being the chief cook and bottle washer. And I argued, but wait a minute, nobody does this better than me. And I, yeah, I know that's a cliche, but I really do have my own process. I have my own gifts. The turning point for me was when this software called Camtasia became a thing. And I could document the living hell out of everything I did all day long. And that enabled me to create the patented uh, Adam Homey or business creators or whatever you want to call it type system that I could properly replicate to give people that worked for me the places where they were following a process and where they could leverage off that process to make their own contributions that help to enhance it rather than reinvent it every time. That's what did it for me. Yep. And in fact, you know, I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm. So you know, that was I'm an example of technology yeah. leverage. And, and exactly. You, and let's, technology leverage. And again, connecting this full circle with the interview, it's an example of technology leverage connected to business systems leverage, connected to time leverage, connected. All these different leverages are, but it all started with that little piece of technology that opened a door for you. For me, my business opened the door when I learned WordPress. When I discovered yeah. WordPress, what it meant was I could build a site in a way that would be adaptive over time that I could manage without being beholden to a web developer. Sure. And and so that opened the whole thing up for me. That was the breakthrough for me. I had a vision for this business long before I ever started building it, but I didn't have the tools. Once I had WordPress, I was like, oh, my gosh, I could build my own site now. I can do this. Yeah, Todd, you know, um, I actually had an entire line of business that was very lucrative for me and profitable for a number of years. And all I did was film Camtasia training videos customized to the end user on how to manage your WordPress site. That was wow. it. It's, some, it's something that you probably could have figured out through a Google search, but the value proposition for the end user was it was a, it was a documented tutorial on their website about the plugins, the themes, what have you, that they needed for their purposes. And there's something about seeing your own stuff in the tutorial that makes it a lot more real to you than a demo site. Like, Todd, I, like I, I could uh, do a training for you on how to do something with your WordPress site. I could use my demo site to do it, or I could throw up a demo site, and uh, it would say test site one up at the top. That wouldn't feel quite the same to you as if we were looking on that video and we were seeing the inside of your WP admin control panel, the way you have it set up, the way you like it. That will have a different resonance to you. And what made this business so great is I was creating a tribe of business creators who were empowered to use this very simple technology to move forward without being beholden to a webmaster, number one, and number two, 
it was the type of thing I could do anywhere. I didn't have to be chained to my desk. All I needed was a strong laptop with a good copy of Camtasia. I could do it any time, day or night. So I could, uh, I mean, sometimes I did it in the, in the jacuzzi, believe it or not. But, you know, whatever was comfortable to me, and I was able to bang these things out. It was easy and it was fun. Yeah. Yeah, and the current, and I'm working on two new lines of business right now here at the Business Creators Institute. And what they have in common is the end goal is for me to scale out of them, where they will be entirely managed by somebody who works for my company. Uh, I may be the one getting it started, but as I'm getting it started, I'm also developing in real time, building the airplane while it's flying, the best practices I will then document on video and have somebody else take over in hopefully a very short period of time. Yeah. If you want to build wealth, the one word you have to understand at a deep, deep level is leverage. It's coming through in what you're saying, Adam, over and over, every example you're providing. And if you look at the history of how wealth has been created, you'll see that it always ties back to leverage. As long as you limit yourself to your own resources, your own skills, your own time, your own money, as long as you limit yourself in that way, you will run into obstacles and barriers that limit your growth. It's just black and white. Yeah. And I, th- I think as a final point, I know that some entrepreneurs are waiting for, well, when can I get a loan and when can I get funding? And the challenge of the business creator, especially the small business creator, is the idea of an unsecured loan because a lot of folks simply, they don't have houses or they want to maintain a very strict corporate veil between their personal holdings and their business holdings, any number of reasons. And we found that uh, contrary to what it was 10 years ago, it's a lot harder to get an unsecured loan than it used to be. So some folks are just waiting for that. And what I hope some of our listeners heard is, There are strategies you can use to increase your viability to receive small business funding, some sort of unsecured loan, some sort of short-term funding, something to give you that cash you need. But there are other forms of leverage that you can be working on right now while you're waiting for them to return your calls. Yeah, as we explain in here, I've never never taken out a business loan. I've built multiple large, successful businesses. Um, the only loans I've ever taken is on real estate. Um, I always follow this model, as I explain to you, which is that once I'm through the bootstrap stage and got it to cash flow, then I just leverage it up. And, I, and none of it yeah. ever involves borrowed money. So um, if you're really limiting your – just really try to question, are you limiting your thinking? And really try to address, like, what are the limits to your growth? And I think you'll find that what – my experience is a lot of people use uh, money as a replacement for creative solutions. Um, that they think, oh, if I just had more money, then I could just scale up. And usually what happens is they'll scale up problems because the reason they need money is because they haven't solved the problems in a business to begin with. And so right. they need money to – and so they think that the only time that money solves a problem or scale solves a problem is when there's increased efficiencies due to scale. That's pretty rare. Usually what happens when people scale is they scale the problem and make a small problem big. Yeah. And also the the other thing that happens a lot of times with more money is then they have more money to waste on foolishness. And so what they do is they make bigger mistakes because they have more money to work with to make those big mistakes. So I really, really advocate in the business development is that you develop it as a bootstrap model 
until you find profitability. Once you find profitability, then you perfect it, and then you leverage it out and grow it. Um, don't try to skip the early stages. Um, and, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Success is hard, right? And it would be so nice to get somebody to just throw millions at you so you can pull a fat paycheck while you're growing the business, which is, you know, the opposite model, if you will. Um, but I really advocate bootstrapping because what bootstrapping does is it forces creative solutions. And creative solutions yeah. is where you find efficiency. You really need to be efficient. Um, margins is everything. And so if you think you're going to pull it off of scaling, that means your margins are pretty darn thin. And that would worry yeah. me. Um, so anyway, uh, leverage is the key. It really is. Exactly. It's, it's how, yeah. Yeah. This has been very much an eye-opener for me, and I'm sure many of our listeners may feel the same way. Uh, because this is really not only just a matter of, well, how do I make money appear out of nowhere if I'm supposed to make money without money? But this is a new mindset. This is a new way of looking at things. That in 15 years of business, Todd, I've been in business for 15 years. I have not heard it quite described this way. You have a unique way of just making things so clear and so usable to the person who's consuming it. And that's one of the reasons I've been so happy to have you on this show twice and look forward to having you again at some date in the near future. So we have about uh, two minutes left. I want to give one of those minutes to you. You said you had something for our listeners. Yeah, so if people want to learn more, um, the reason I'm not talking about this is I've got a book coming out. It's called The Leverage Equation. How to Work Less, Make More, and Cut 30 Years Off Your Retirement Plan. And so you can get it at all places where books are sold. Um, it's my latest book that just came out. Um, also, if you want to find out that course where the book came from, you can go to my website, which is financialmatter.com, um, and you can go to the course and you can try it for free. Uh, I give away five lessons sampled from the course, and that's at financialmentor.com. Uh, look under the courses or under the products tab, and you'll see the step three course about how to design a wealth plan. And in there, it gives you the chance to go ahead and try it for free. And people are telling me they're getting great value from the free sample lessons. And again, that's an example of technology leverage. It costs me nothing to give you that value. And so you don't have to risk thinking, ah, oh, is this guy's course any good or not? You get to go in and actually sample the actual course try it for free and decide if it's value. It's exactly me walking the talk, as we talked about here today. Yeah, and I really appreciate that. So everybody, make sure to go to Todd's website, financialmentor.com. And if you want to go back in the history of the Business Creators Radio Show, we discussed some elements of Todd's website on his previous appearance, how to have more clients than you can handle. And just like with today's episode where Todd shared so many concepts that are timeless and evergreen, much of what he shared three years ago is perfectly pertinent to what you are doing today as a business creator. Todd is definitely somebody you want to follow, so make sure to check him out when you have the opportunity. And let me say, Todd Tressler, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. Uh, thank you, Adam. It was fun talking with you. I appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Join us next week for our next amazing episode, and be sure to check out our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and discover how we serve you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.